0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, welcome to this week's edition of Terry's Talking. David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, alongside Terry Pluto award-winning columnist for cleveland.com and the Plain dealer terry how's it going for you this week
1: i'm doing well you got the browns are not in the playoffs the cavaliers are headed to the playoffs and i shoveled a lot of snow how about you
0: yeah shoveling snow and uh yeah so i, I haven't had a chance to ask you this but everybody's playing this wordle game have you checked this out yet Where i have no clue by- what it is my wife's yeah, too so- hard anyway <laughs> we don't even I can't
1: even spell normal words you expect
0: me to do that <laughs> well everybody's doing it and um, my wife is into it apparently the the man who invented the game came up with it uh, as a kind of a present for his wife who's really into word right. games so give it a try sometime it's basically
1: rotate well, love to do those word finder things you know and we would look at me and I would tell him my whole life is words I'm not looking at that <laughs>
0: You're more of a Sudoku, you want math instead, right? Sudoku yes. or something. So, all right. Speaking of five letter words, Terry, how about uh, fiery and tough? And I'm trying to think of some other five letter words to describe the Cavaliers who have had injuries. They've had, um, you know, plenty of adversity. They've had a tough schedule, if you mm-hmm. were to compare it. And here they are. 29 and 19 going into tonight's game at home against Milwaukee. It's the first time they've been 10 games over 500 since 20, the 2018 season. Um, really something this, this story continues. We talk about it every week, but every week we kind of new guys are stepping up and they just keep finding ways
1: to win. Yeah. I mean, they had a three game losing streak a couple of weeks ago. And I wondered if that was going to bring them back to earth a little bit. And then I think they've won eight or nine or something like that. And so it shows that they are very resilient. I do think this is going to be a tough time coming up for JB because what made the team so good was that front line with uh market and and um, and Evan and Jared Allen. And you saw, saw the other night when he had to go out there and basically he had Evan Mobley and and that was it. You know, Dean Wade was playing and there. And so hopefully. Um, they'll be able to keep Allen on the court with Mobley. But that advantage they had with Marketing because it isn't just a matter he's seven foot, he's seven foot and he is athletic. He's seven foot, he's willing to try to guard small forwards. A lot of seven footers don't want to do that because they're going to look bad. You know, they're, they're going to be taken out on the court and that guy's going to drive by him. They're going to look big and slow. But marketing was willing to do that because he knew that the defensive scheme behind him. Uh, you know, they did start Dwayne, uh, Dean Wade, the other day I'm not I wish he Dwayne Wade in their prime I started to say that but started Dean Wade and you know he's okay but there's a reason he wasn't drafted a reason he wasn't a G League and a reason he had to work his way to get to the NBA to be a viable player but you know he's not a first-round pick like marketing you look at that big front line if you think about it um, Allen was not a lottery pick but he was a first-round pick you know Mobley and marketing were lottery picks. I mean, these guys are really good players, period. So I'm curious to see in that high ankle sprain that you know, Chris Fito reported, he was on, in a crutches and in a walking boot. Other than that, he was fine. Yeah. I mean, you know how those high ankle sprains go. It's not a, it's not a regular ankle
0: sprain. The high ankle well, sprain is a lot more serious. It's usually three to six weeks the or
1: more depending on how severe it is. So, Uh, And on top of that, you're talking basketball as opposed to, say, baseball or football. Football, depending upon what position you play, you may not have to do as many changes of direction, say your alignment or that kind of uh, spot. But if you're a, a basketball player, so much of your ability to defend and to rebound is not on north to south movements, it's east to west. It's how do you move laterally, and that really is a big part of your ankles. So you have Wade. Uh, I want to say that, you know, they they're getting so tough minded defensively, they're finding other ways to do it. You know, with Isaiah Coral, can play some small forward. Um, Momar Stevens could play some small forward, but I love them in the backcourt. And this fits what a couple of executives told me last year when I was kind of writing a wrap up on the calves, they said, you know, the calves have turned the corner When they're not playing those two little guards together, they're bringing Sexton off the bench. And this, both of them wiped a Coro as a guard. And that a Coro as a guard, especially next to uh, Garland, that's when you become a a pretty good team. And so they were right, because that also implied that you found a small forward. Right, so, so let's get a little deeper
0: into some of this. Um, do you think the Cavs are getting what they want out of Okoro and Lamar Stevens?
1: I mean, more than they expected, less than they expected, or about what More. I would think more. The last game, they had 23 points between them. They played exactly 48 minutes. They split it up. Um, they'll probably end up playing more now just because of with Markin and being out. Yeah, I think so. They are, and they both have improved their offense, and they both will go after you defensively. And also, when you think about uh, the different uh, players you have on the roster, um, you don't have a lot of other alternatives. I mean, for a little while, they played Rondo together with, uh, with Garwin, much like they were doing with Rubio. But that's, you know, we, I think we saw one thing. Rondo at 34 or whatever his age is, he played a couple of games and their hamstring acted up. So that's going to be a concern. I, they got to keep shopping for another guard.
0: Yeah. So let's go back to the Laurie Markkinen situation real quick. Um, you know, Sexton went down. Ricky Rubio went down. They, they bring in Rondo to take some of those minutes. Obviously, somebody's going to have to pick up these minutes with and out. How do you see the rotation changing in terms of, you know, who goes in when, how JB can kind of manage this, the minute, the missing minutes uh, do you see expanded roles? You'd like to see certain guys in expanded roles, or how, how would you kind of do that if you were JB?
1: Well, I'd be, first thing I'd do is I'd be sitting there going, I can't play Garland all these extra minutes because I don't want him to get worn down. And I cannot – I mean, one, one answer is, like, we'll start Kevin Love or play Kevin Love 30-some minutes. The problem there is every time in the past I try to play Love starters minutes and that, he got hurt. And as we know, when Kevin gets hurt, he gets hurt. He's out for months. So the plan this year, they kind of try to know who, they always call it the sports science approach again, studying things. It's like bring him off the bench, keep him between 18 and 24 minutes and see how that works. And JB, the other night, you know, they hit like the 24 minute mark and he pulled him out for the last four and a half minutes of that game. Uh, when they beat the Knicks, it had to be painful for him to do so. So maybe what they're going to try to do is spot love's minutes a little different. So he's playing at the end of the game, but one thing love doesn't give them is that defense. He'll give them rebounding, but defensively, if you watch, he stays under the basket a lot. Uh, He's the team's try to put him in a pick and roll and he struggles. The nice thing when he's coming off the bench, he often was playing against uh, backups and that, Hit his defense, you know his, his problems on defense and offensively he just crushed those guys. Um, but in the meantime, this is a team that struggles to score. I, I looked at the games between Saturday and Monday where there were 18 games played, and only three of those teams that won games scored fewer than 100 points, and the Cavs were to, did it twice. Yeah, that was so a great stat. They're, they're trying to live the hard way. But I love it. I mean, just I thought that win against New York showed a lot of their toughness and things that JB's been talking about. Uh, but there's going to be a challenges. This front office will probably try to do something. I just – I've been getting a couple of emails. Why don't they Now that Love's playing well, why don't they try to trade him? I mean, David, you finally have him playing well. And you're selling chemistry and teamwork. This guy is now playing the role that you wanted him to when you gave him the big money. I'm talking about a leader saying and doing the right things, his head's in the right spot, you trade him, that sends a bad message to the rest of the team and that all that teamwork stuff and everything you talked about really is just, is pure business. And I'm not sure how much love would bring in a trade anyway, because you could wait to the off season then and trade him if you want, because then he's got a year left to go on his contract, his expiring contract. And go from there. But I'm not touching him this year. This was even before marketing got hurt. But now he's even more important.
0: Well, yeah, it's interesting watching the Cavs. You know what it reminded me was the way that the Indians used Andrew Miller in the Mm -hmm. 2016 baseball season. And their argument was, hey, if we have like a high leverage situation in the sixth inning or the seventh, like we should bring in Andrew Miller because that is a key part of the game. And we need to win that battle. And you look at Kevin Love the other night, like, yeah, he didn't play down the stretch, but he came off the bench and had those three pointers at a really important part of the game and, and kind of turned the game in the Cavs favor, even though he wasn't in late. And it kind of reminded me of just, Hey, Kevin Love needs to play 24 important minutes more than, you know, like at the end of the game or something, you you can certainly negotiate when he's in, but I think the Cavs are trying to pick when he can really make an impact with the minutes he is playing.
1: And also, one thing the Cavs do, their their fourth quarter defensive stats are really strong. So if they can get a lead, it's kind of like having a good bullpen in baseball. They probably could hang, you know, gut it out and win it. Uh, but now we'll have to see how those stats hold up without marketing. We go back to that because he was a key part of that defensive mindset. But the rest of the team, I mean, Mobley's already an elite defender. Jared Allen is very good. Okoro and Stevens are very good. Garland is not terrible. Uh, he's okay. And, uh, you know, Wade, Wade tries really hard, but I think he could be exposed. But I'll say this, you know, he's on the floor for steals, deflections. He buys into that. Um, so I'm kind of curious. I, I think they're going to make a move before the All Star break. It won't be big, but look, they'll look for a role player and, and try to bring him in. And a role player on this team could be very valuable. Absolutely. I mean, Lamar Stevens on another team is nobody on a bad team he's just another guy running around dean wade on another team just another guy out there shooting threes once in a while uh it's when the, your team becomes good that those you know hard-working the blue collar players from the g league and all that that's when their value goes up all right hey you want to talk a little all-star game real quick sure
0: all right, so everybody probably knows by now the All-Star Game is here on the February 18th through 20th. The game itself is on the 20th at Rocket Mortgage Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Uh, Chris Fedor, our colleague who covers the Cavs, he's been kind of delving into, the, you know, everybody who follows the Cavaliers is very honed in on the Cavaliers, and Chris has been taking kind of a wider view in terms of how injuries might affect which guys make the All-Star team, and you know, the Kevin Durant he's had some knee issues, which might open up a forward spot. So would that open up a spot for Jared Allen? And would that put like somebody like James Harden, a guard into the all-star lineup and, and, and bump Darius Garland. So how many, I guess there's two questions here, Terry, how many all-stars do you think the Cavs should have? And I, I think there's probably two. two names and then how many do you think they
1: will have, or how do you see this shaking out? I think they should have two. And I think they will have two. Because I do think the injuries are going to come into play, whether, you know, Harden ends up starting and Garland comes off the bench or whatever. It's pretty hard, assuming the Cavs don't have a total collapse in next week or so. It's pretty hard not to give them two all stars when, along with Chicago, a couple of these other teams, they're big surprises. And it's very evident that Garland and Allen play a huge role. I mean, I'm, there are probably some people who would argue for Mobley. In that spot, I kind of like to keep that rookie in the rookie stars game or whatever, unless he's a just totally awesome. Let him do that. Let him earn his way on. I know LeBron didn't make it his first year, and it always bothered him and kind of fueled him a little more. And that's okay. Uh, You don't need everything at the age of nineteen or (laughs) twenty. And also, I think Allen. I mean, long-term, you'd always pick Mobley. But I'm just thinking, like, tomorrow, if I had a game, who would I pick to play, Allen or Mobley? I don't know. Who would you pick? You only could pick one. Ugh,
0: that's a tough one. I, I think um, I think I might go with Allen just because he's got some more experience. and Yeah, I mean, that yeah, – you know. In a year or two, that, that might be different.
1: different. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, you're, and the other different. way would be Mobley's more versatile. You might go with him. But then you saw Mobley at the end of the – game the other day he made two terrific rebounds but he also missed three or four from the foul line his nerves got to him a little bit um because he's a kid we we forget that but he is i don't know i'm just excited to see this and and we're not sitting there going boy at the end of the year they're gonna have two guys who are free agents and i mean the only discussion there is, is colin sexton restricted free agent coming off season ending knee surgery um i mean good luck uh I heard he's going to get a new agent or something compared to the guy he had before, but good luck trying to negotiate that contract. Probably better off just trying to get a one-year deal anyway, or even take, if the Cavs will give him a qualifying offer, just take that. And then, you know, the Cavs, if I were them, here's your qualifying offer and um, you're coming off the bench and we do need scoring off the bench, but you see it, Colin, you're not dumb. This is the way the team's going now, but you could be part of something really good.
0: Yeah, and Chris Fiora did have an interview with Colin Sexton Mm -hmm. yesterday. It sounds like his rehab is going well, and they did not rule out him trying to come back if they are able to make a playoff run, which would – boy, the odds of that are so slim, but hey.
1: Yeah, you always hang that out. I remember one executive told me, you always let that be a – even it's a remote possibility for the player to keep him motivated, keep him engaged, because you tell him there's no way you're going to play this season at all. It's not just he wouldn't. Perhaps it affects his, his work thing, but it also might affect him mentally. Here you see Sexton's been engaged. He's on Zoom meetings with the team, even when he's in Atlanta, and that, that's what you want so that he feels that way. And he could think that, okay, I am preparing uh, just in case things go well. I'll, I'll tell you though, David, this has to be a somewhat of a significant meniscus injury. Most of those are not season ending. ACLs are, meniscus are not. You know, we never see the full medical report. I just kind of wonder a little bit about that. Yeah,
0: well, regardless, it's good to hear that things are going well. Yes. Like that said, he's engaged. He's on the sidelines cheering guys on. And look,
1: this you guy know. is a relentless worker. That's why I've always liked him. On. He work, he plays hard. Doesn't always play smart, but he always plays hard, works hard about all the right stuff. And and that's why also I think if you explain to him, this is your role, we're a different team now, but you 20 minutes of you could mean a lot. Look, Kevin Love would do it. Ricky Rubio will do it. So who are you to say you won't do it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so let's reset a little bit about the all-star game here. So Thursday is when the all-star game starters are going to be announced. And just to tell you, um, for those who don't know, it's four backcourt players, six front court players and two wildcard positions when the teams are complete. Um, so the starters will be announced on Thursday and then February 6th, the coaches will be announced and JB Bickerstaff, is in the running which is kind of fun for Cavs fans so the uh, first place coach in the east is allowed to coach the all-star team so we'll see how that goes um, there's still another week and a half of season to come Cavs kind of have a not brutal schedule ahead uh, they're playing the bucks at home tonight Sunday they're at Detroit then the following night they're back home against New Orleans And then next Wednesday, February 2nd, they're at Houston. So with the injury... Watch
1: the game tonight, David. Watch how Milwaukee defends Garland. They took him out of the game the other day. And by the way, New York tried to do that, and New York beat him up. That's my fear there about a lot of uh, minutes and things for Garland because he is small. And I remember I often compare him to Mark Price, and that was the thing to do with Mark Price, is physically run him into picks, beat him up, blitz him, double-team him, wear him down. And you have to watch the minutes on these guys.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Terry. Nobody really – with a guy as young as Darius Garland, you don't think about the minutes piling up. But he, being the guy now, the main uh-huh. offensive threat, he is getting run through a lot of uh, defensive interference. And that – over the course of a season, that does pile up. You're right. Um, so how do you think the Bucks will do – will they go with the same approach they did last time? Which I mean, way, they were running
1: Giannis out, him. Somebody would pick him up full court early three-quarter court, and then you would see Giannis come out or another forward come out, and they were just all over him. And they want to get that ball out of his hands. And it's the same way I'm surprised more teams didn't do it. I'm thinking, well, if Garland is the one that's triggering everything and that other guard position isn't one I worry about a lot, um, let's, let's see what a Coral or Stevens can do. And, and so that, that's why I think Rondo's going to be an important guy in that game. Because he's going to have to help with the ball handling, and he actually, when he's played, he hasn't been too bad. But he missed six games with the with the sore hamstring. Yeah, and you're right. It'll be interesting
0: tonight to watch. It's kind of a microcosm of how a playoff series might go. I mean, the adjustments in a playoff series are two days apart, but it'll be it'll be fun to compare these two games and see how the Cavs adjust to what they're seeing tonight. So, all right, Cavs at home tonight. It'll be a good one against the Bucks. Tip off is at seven. Uh, Terry, let's take a break. We will come back. We will talk some Browns, some baseball slash guardians. We've got your faith column to talk about, which is a a great one this week. We got some Hey Terry questions from some fans. And then uh, we've got, I know how you feel about the Browns and kickers and how they need to find one. We got a Terry's trivia question about Browns, all time scoring leaders. So we'll talk to you right after this break on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's talking. David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Hey Terry, I, I know we want to get into the playoff games last weekend, which were incredible. Uh, but just real quick, some news today: the Browns are going to be losing uh, their vice president of football operations, Quazi Adolfo Mensa. The Vikings are hiring him. Um, he's one. Quazi was one of Andrew Berry's top guys here, and he's going to be the GM of the Vikings. And the Browns are going to receive a couple of third round draft picks because they are losing him as some uh, compensatory picks. So I'm sure uh, it's a tough loss for Andrew Barry in his front office. But, you know, this front office is built on culture and kind of um, with Paul DePodesta and the way they do things. And, you know, it's it's. You're always sad to see somebody go, but the, the way this front office is built, this is something they expect. They, they want to have good people coming up through the ranks. They probably expect to lose them. And, um, you know, in terms of the Browns' culture of their front office, how do you see things working over there? And, and this seems like this is something that they can certainly power through and you, you don't want to lose a guy like that, but it's, it's something that they
1: probably expect. All right, David, a rhetorical question. When was the last time Somebody said, we need to look at the Browns for an office to find our general manager. The answer is, I can't name one. There may be back there somewhere. You know, obviously a bunch of Belichick's disciples later on became GMs. But I do not can think of any since they came back. So clearly Andrew Berry hired somebody who was good. And Minnesota... Uh, thought that this is the right guy. Uh, If I were them, I would make sure to surround him with someone with uh, some more experience because I'm not sure how much he was doing with player evaluation. I'm sure there was some, but when you look at that, uh, that's driven primarily by Barry and Stefanski. They're the guys picking the players, you know, and that was the idea to have them work together. Uh, What, Dee Podesta would do the, the analytics thing. is nice to supply analytics. But also, as he told me, I want to make sure that those guys are very clear in what they're thinking. Kind of, what you want to call it, a referee or just a consensus building? And so they had, like, Glenn Cook was another guy in their front office. I think he also interviewed for the uh, Minnesota job. So that was actually nice to see. That at least they are looking at the Browns front office for a couple of these guys. But I can't think of another one. So good for them. That's progress. Whereas with the Indians, you know, they're always jumping in, grabbing their guys. Yeah,
0: it's a it's a good problem to have and, and a bad one when you lose. Somewhere. I mean what Carter Hawkins, yeah.
1: where did he go? He just got a general manager's job. Um, yeah. He was he like, was like number in the long in, line. Number three in the front office. You know, they and that, that means you're you're up to something good. So that's a good sign for the for the organization. And as you said, they get a couple third round picks. Good.
0: Yep, there'll be one this year and one next year. So all right, let's talk about the playoffs. So if, Browns fans learned anything from the weekend Terry and you've always been so big on the importance of having a good kicker someone you can rely on all four games come down to the end all four games come down to a kicker deciding it and if you're a Browns fan you have to be sitting there saying boy if if the Browns were in that position what would have happened with the, the situation a the kicker and and what, what was your takeaway from what you saw over the weekend
1: well the good kickers make nearly 90 percent of their kicks now and Chase McLaughlin made 72%. That was the worst in the NFL. And it was really bad because he started by making 10 of his first 11. The one missing there was a block, was a kick that was blocked that actually somebody blew a block in the line. It wasn't his fault. But as hot as he went, when the weather went cold, so did he. And I know some fans have said, well, why don't they draft a kicker? Actually, the Browns have drafted two recently they took Zane Gonzalez i believe he was in 2016 and it's either 16 or 17 and you know he ended up he struggled here and ended up he kicks he's, he's bounced around the NFL and then they also took Austin Slibert in the 5th round John Dorsey did and you know he kicked here for a year didn't go very well and he's bounced around he hasn't done pretty well since so it's hard to find these guys. I tend to favor a veteran over a rookie uh, kicker because the problem is you're, you're not going to be patient with a kicker. You're just not oh, the jobs, there's jobs you're not going to be patient with a kicker. And there's a big jump from the NFL to, I mean, from college to the NFL on top of it, many of these kickers come from the South and I know Phil Dawson, who's always been my guru of, a pretty decent friend of mine and teaching about kicking. Remember he kicked the Texas. He did not get drafted in 98. He thought he was, he ended up on the uh, backup taxi squad at new England, which helped him, even though he didn't kick, he was now working in cold weather and all that for the first time. And around, um, I think it was Vinatieri or whoever the kicker was there and, and learned a lot from him. And then in 99, when he went to the Browns, he had a fight off two other, Guys to make the team, you know, the infamous line from Chris Palmer. And Phil thought he was so excited, made the team. And Palmer looks at him and says, Well, I guess we'll start with you. And that is the as <laughs> Phil said, that is the life of a kicker. We'll start with you. The implication being there's always somebody else to bring in. You know, the old line, you're only as good as your last kick. Um, and so if you find the other sort of thing is like, if you find one, keep them pay him and also you know if he's been through a couple of ups and downs if he misses a couple of kicks he's frankly not going to fold like McLaughlin folded he fell apart he's hitting cross bars he's you know you can see I think he missed five of his last nine then he had this weird stat he's like three of three for 50 yards or four or four either way he's perfect and he's four of 10 from 40 to 49 yards See, that's concentration, preparation, you know, wind currents, all that stuff that we've talked about before. Remember, as the weather gets colder, the football doesn't travel as far, it feels like it's kicking a rock. So, And a lot of these kickers you draft are from the south, and that's why they need to learn all that stuff, and it's pretty hard to have them learn it right there. So I have to look at the list of veteran kickers bouncing around. That's who I want. So, and a punter, so, I think you could find one. Now, I think it's a lot easier to find a punter than a kicker. Yeah, and I think
0: there's some good ones coming out in the in this draft or free agency, um, not, yeah. um, unsigned, undrafted free agents. So, so uh, I, Terry, there's been a lot of debate this week about the over NFL overtime rules. And I remember that. Yeah, we, well, we could talk about that. I mean, you know, this, this all stuff. No, I got the plan. To- all this, right.
1: this is this is foolproof.
0: Let, let me give some background first. So the, yeah, current rules, the current rules came in when Brett Favre was with the Vikings, if I remember. And it was against the Saints in the playoffs. And the Saints won the toss in overtime, went down and kicked the field goal. And everybody threw their hands up and said, how can this be the way it is? Right. Brett Favre doesn't even get a chance to get the ball in overtime. So then they changed it to this current format, which is if you score, a t- if the team that wins the toss get, scores a touchdown, they win. Um, If they don't score, then the other team gets the ball and it's sudden death. So, Terry, tell us how to fix this. I want to hear this. First of all,
1: what a dumb way to fix it. (laughs) If you're going to fix it, both teams get the ball, period. Now, what they don't want is this game to go on forever. So here's how it works. You score a touchdown, you must go for two points. And then the other team... Scores a touchdown, they must go for two points. And that I think creates more drama as opposed to just trying to decide. And also it sets up the fact that, you know, most of the time, it seems to me, it's like 50 or 60% of the time teams make it when they go for two. It's it's not a given at all. It's so not. So it I was sounds fishing.
0: like, yeah, it sounds like where you're headed is a little bit like the college. So I like the college over time and it's kind of set up that way where each team gets the ball on the 25 yard line right. going in. And after so many tries, I think it's after the first two, you have to go for two points. And then I think it just goes to two point conversions after that. So what do you think of, what do you think of that approach where you start a team on the 25, they get a shot think, the score and then I, the other team gets the ball on the 25 going. It's fun in to watch
1: it's kind it's kind of gimmicky. My thing is still real football. The only change is that everybody gets the ball and then uh, you got you gotta go for two. So in other words, you have to execute uh, not your touchdown but your two point conversion. And also meanwhile, you have to defend that two point conversion. So I, I like that better because then again, it's my idea, so I wouldn't like it better. <laughs> The,
0: the, the Pluto People principle, Odyssey we gotta, we got to come up with a name for that one. Yeah, we'll do that. So. The Pluto plan. <laughs> the Pluto plan. There you go. The, uh, I, I have to say this, I, I you know, Browns fans and Cleveland sports fans, there's this saying, and I'm sure you've seen it, OIC, only in Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. When something crazy and bad happens to a Cleveland sports team. I mean, can you imagine being a Bills fan and watching that? Oh,
1: day? That's the worst. It, it, it was it's, the worst.
0: I, I mean, I know, like Sean McDermott has just said that he this is going to eat at him for the rest of his life the way they handled yeah. it. But uh, you know, Doug LaMaurice, our colleague, was speaking of Wordle. He said uh, tomorrow's Monday's Wordle should be the word Squib, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was a great line. It's like why wouldn't you squib that kickoff? And they were saying this on the broadcast. That takes five six seconds off the clock, and then the whole point of playing defense in that situation is to stop Kansas city from getting to like the 40 yard line. And you look at the all 22 and the bills have two deep safeties back at their own 20.
1: Yeah. They were playing like they wanted to defend the touchdown and and it was strange. And it's like, okay, if they get to the 20 yard line, you have lost
0: this situation. You have lost Mm -hmm. this battle. And I just, These guys are so diligent at what they do and so detail-oriented. I was just really shocked that it was like malpractice.
1: It was like coaching malpractice to see the way they handled that last 13. Yeah, that that was really odd. And that's probably another reason that it says they'll never forget that game because McDermott is a defensive coach on top of it. Uh, But the thing that also is always in the back of your mind is, yeah, my quarterback's young and all this, but, but will I ever be in that position again with this team? Because you just don't know. That's the remarkable thing about Kansas City. They're in that position every year. Fourth straight AFC championship game. Yep. Yep. I mean, they've made the playoffs now seven consecutive years. By far, that's the longest streak in the NFL. You would think, I would have thought like somebody else, but that they are. Because I remember when we were in Kansas City to open the season, uh, covering it, there was a big story in a paper that with six in a row, they were the longest. And I'm like, wow. So now it's seven, and as you said, four straight, basically final four. and. But for the other teams, you go, you think you're going to be, well, the Browns, you think you're going to be there? You're not. Baltimore, they're used to being in the playoffs. I mean, a lot goes wrong. So, you know. So much is out of your control. So, yeah, a lot should eat at McDermott. His defensive thing the most, the rules kind of conspired against him. And and you just don't know because now Baltimore, I mean, Baltimore, I'm sorry, Buffalo's salary cap goes up. By the way, I'm interested to see what Baltimore does with Huntley, their backup quarterback, because he is a free agent. You know, do they spend a lot of money for him? You know, Lamar still hasn't signed. And then the question there in Baltimore, it's kind of like Cleveland, is like, gee, Lamar got hurt. It was his worst year also. How much do you pay him? Or do you just ride it out for another year? I think if I'm the Baltimore. more. I do the same thing in Cleveland. I'm just playing them out, play it out.
0: And here's a prediction that probably won't come true, but I'm going to make it anyway. I think Huntley ends up in Pittsburgh. I think Mike Tomlin is looking for a well, quarterback. I bet he would love Cleveland. to have him. And yeah, I, I think they're going to give him some money. And we'll see. I'm sure some other teams will be in on him too. So yeah, uh, I mean,
1: go ahead. No, I was just going to move on to something else you wanted to add there real quick. Before yeah, because we... let's go here, even if it's one of your questions that you sent me about, I think it was from Paul Cosgrove about Mitch Trubisky, you know, about him being a free agent. He could end up getting a pretty good deal from somebody. Teams are quarterback desperate. And as you go back and look at it, you know, with the Bears, the Bears don't do real well with their quarterbacks. Matt Yagy supposed to, we found out Matt Nagy got exposed when he got away from Andy Reid. And Bemini, too. So, clearly, Nagy was nothing special. And so, somebody could easily talk themselves into Trubisky. Does Trubisky become, I know he had a poor game in the playoffs, but he's become the next Ryan Tannehill, a guy just needed to go play somewhere else with a different system, a different team. So, uh, I would like him as a backup in Cleveland, uh, but I think he's going to get a fair amount of money from somebody.
0: Yeah. Okay. We'll get to that question a little bit. I want to hear a little bit more from you on that. But that's yeah. why
1: I brought up Huntley because that was the other option. The sure. The yeah. Younger yeah. guys that I've been thinking about. Yeah. I didn't think about Pittsburgh for Huntley. That makes a ton of sense.
0: Well, we shall see. Free agency is in mid-March. So we got some time and I'm sure there'll be some rumblings about it. So, Hey, uh, speaking of quarterbacks, let's talk about the Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. He's decided that he's going to kind of go dark on social media here for a good while. For him. And you think that's a good move?
1: Yes, and I hope he doesn't look at it either while he's on there. I mean, you just can't worry about what Mary Kay writes or tweets from Dustin Fox or something that I write. Just stop. And focus on
0: what's important, which is getting help. Because, you know, you know
1: they always it's an old line, you know, don't pay attention to the noise and that. And it's hard because, you know, what happens, your family members and your friends who maybe don't have as much to do with you, they're watching all this stuff. So you kind of almost have to be nicely ruthless, I call it, nicely ruthless, and say, we're not talking about that. We're just not. If you love me and care about me, please don't talk to me about that, because it isn't good for any of us.
0: Very easy Ooh, I, to get. The I could you that could be a faith
1: column, David. I'm just there, thinking there about you go. Sneak
0: preview. Okay. So. All right, just to give you some frame of reference, the Senior Bowl is next week, and Mary Kay will be down there.
1: She always gets good stuff from there, too. She's going to find a
0: kicker for you, Terry, a first-rounder that the Browns can bring in. Yeah. she's yeah, the first
1: <laughs> I mean, it drives me nuts because they just – Phil Dawson kicked effectively for five years after he left. He made the Pro Bowl, and they didn't even offer him a contract. He wanted to stay. Who wants to stay in Cleveland? He's kicking in the, other than maybe perhaps Pittsburgh or Buffalo, because Pittsburgh's turf is all messed up. And Buffalo is Buffalo. You know, it's like kicking in the North Pole. You know, who wants to kick in Cleveland? Well,
0: and I, just real quick, you watched Robbie Gould kick a game winner last weekend. The Chicago Bears let him go. Yeah. Robbie Gould loved Chicago, loved the Bears, wanted to stay. They wouldn't pay him. He was sitting in the stands. He was he loved the team so much. He was sitting in the stands when Cody Parkey did the double doink kick. (laughs) Can you believe that? Cody Parkey. My brother tells me that my brother reminds me of this every time Robbie Gould hits an important kick. It's
1: just stop. I I don't I want to see the analytics that tell you kicking field goals is not important. And when the standard has reached the point that you have to go 85 to 90% to be considered good, because, by the way, those stats keep going up, and on top of it, extra points are harder than ever. They're like 31-yard field goals or whatever they are. Uh, That's part of the reason that these guys struggle. It's like they're kicking like six, seven field goals a game. Uh, You 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 really have to – if you get one, just pay them.
0: One less headache. That's for sure. So, all right, Terry, we haven't talked baseball in a while and with good reason, Uh, the the owners and the players union are still in negotiations, trying to work through arbitration service time, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Paul Hoynes, our Indians beat writer had a really good explanatory piece last few days uh, at all the key issues and, and how he thinks things could be resolved pretty quickly. In the meantime, baseball, there's no hot stove league. Nobody's talking about, baseball player movement any of that stuff it's all just really dead right now and it's
1: it's hurting isn't it certain the sport i think so because they see in my mind you know they're like the third sport in in a lot of cities uh you know the nfl rules just about everywhere in a lot of places basketball or hockey you know has such a strong following now and the the other when you're and, and see, baseball, it, because of its rules, and they're not addressing any of this, by the way, where you know the, the major markets could pay three to four times as much as somebody else, uh, you have created this thing in, in about half of your teams or more that we just have no chance. We have no chance. In the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, none of those places will say we have zero chance because that team's going to spend five times as much as we do or three times as much as we do. The others have different types of salary caps, but we see have some salary restraints, you know, even in the NBA with it, this would, this would help baseball, but they, they aren't even talking about it. A maximum contract. You can't go more than four or five years for X amount of hours. Instead of these ridiculous 10, 12, 14 years for Tatis, I believe crazy contracts, the players union
0: will probably never go for that, but I mean, they could look at the NBA structure. That seems like that is working.
1: Yeah. It's Um, like, that's. I mean, and, and the owners, I don't even think are pushing for that. So the nice thing, it looks like a lot of stuff they're talking about is is smaller changes. So they'll probably come back, but they have not address. They're not going to address a whole lot. I do like the idea they're making some different things like a draft lottery now to avoid tanking and, you know, somewhat, they could do stuff with salary for. So hopefully they're talking about how to repaint the house, but I, you know, I really would like them to look at the foundation, but they won't.
0: Yeah. And just to go back to what you're talking about a minute ago, Terry, about the popularity of the sports, I thought this was interesting. So the Braves beat the Astros in the world series uh, last fall. They averaged 11.7. 5 million viewers on on the games mm-hmm. tv that was actually up 20 percent from the previous year but if you look at that 11.75 million average viewers the saturday nfl game between the 49ers and the packers drew 36.9 million yeah. and that was the most watched tv show on a saturday night since the 1994 winter olympics which was the wow. tanya harding nancy kerrigan episode I mean, then-
1: it would be interesting just to look at any NFL playoff game first round one you know Steelers and whoever you probably have more than 11 million watching oh
0: absolutely and then Sunday's just real quick Sunday's game between the Chiefs and the Bills it was at 42.7 million and then at the, at the end of the game the dramatic finish it went up to yeah. 51.7 million so baseball's facing an uphill battle you're right and and the clock is And ticking.
1: David I got to confess when the Indians aren't in the playoffs and I like baseball I don't watch it I've zoned out. It's on late at night. It takes forever. Um, you know, all the issues of pace of play and all that junk comes in. Uh, and what about kids who have school the next day in October? Yeah, and I, yeah. I'm old. <laughs> i old. Mean, going to bed. Forget it. <laughs> Can I just chase don't care enough day. about the Braves or whoever to, you know, I just I don't <laughs> to, to stay up that late. The thing about an NFL game. Now, the Super Bowl is a little different because they sell – ridiculous amounts of time but an nfl game is somebody who covers it watches the clock it's ending between three hours and 10 minutes and three hours and 25 minutes right in there and you could just count on it
0: and baseball four hours sometimes for a nine inning yeah yep yep well speaking of time terry how do you like this transition your column this week is about time. And uh, you write in your column about a woman who was telling you the story about a son who had been out of her life for a long time. And all of a sudden she developed an illness and all of a sudden he was back in her life. And you—it was the whole theme is making up for lost time and how we should approach that. Why don't you talk about that for a minute?
1: Yeah, because what he, what he wanted to do is make up for lost time by sort of coming in and have taking over her life. You need to do this, you need to do that. Help me do that. Let me do it while you do this. And that. she's like, well, wait a minute. You know, I just want to have a normal relationship. I don't want this. But a lot of times when we feel guilty. What do we want to do? Because we didn't spend time with the person. We overcompensate. We want to buy them things. We want to micromanage their life. Whatever it may be, we're going to fix it. And that other person who's been hurt by our absence suddenly says, no, 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 no. no. We're not playing it that way. I mean, one of the ways I'm writing about the column to do is when when you want to repair, because I remember Dan Gilbert, I was talking to him one time and he said, you know, the hardest thing to lose is time. He said, I've lost millions of dollars and made millions of dollars. He said, you know, when I was younger, lost cars, this you could replace all this stuff. He said, but you know, I'm not going to be 35 anymore. I'm not going to be 40 anymore. You know, and, and Dan would now, with his stroke, I haven't talked to him since, but I'm sure he looks at. you know, I'm never going to have those days of, before your stroke. So, but when that time is gone, and so the, the question is, what do you do? The first thing I, I wrote about that you do, number one, is you apologize for not being there during that time, whether it's all your fault or not, take some blame, so that that other person doesn't feel like um, their they were their emotions were ignored. Secondly, let that person define the relationship as you come back into them. And this happens a lot with divorce. You know, you go to another family. Now you want to get back together with your kids. Your kids wonder where you were. Next thing you know, you're going to spend a time going over the, the, all the old rehash. And maybe some of that needs to be done, but you need to ask the kids, okay, how do you want to work this? I feel bad about that. I'd like to start over the right way. What do you think? And that's tough. It takes a humble spirit and a lot of prayer, I think, to do that.
0: Yeah, and it, it's, uh, it made me, the column made me think a little, little bit about that scene in that movie, Groundhog Day, where, where Bill Murray is trying to rush a date with Andy McDowell. He's trying to do, yeah. he's trying to condense the beginning of their relationship into yeah. an hour. And you're right, it, it when you are trying to make up for lost time, I thought that really, just like you said, you have to go in with, slow things down and just be mindful. And it's not, you're not making the rules, I think was the way you phrased it, yeah. in the column, which I thought was a great phrase. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be, yeah. So that, that, that's a key one. I think people like it, it was a, it was a challenging one to write. The, actually the hardest thing I write most every week is the faith column.
0: Well, you have to put a lot of thought into it and, and you, and you do. Yeah. Yep. All right, Terry, we got some, Hey Terry questions from some readers. You already teased one of them from Paul Cosgrove, who is a loyal listener. Thanks for sending this in Paul. He says, Hey Terry. He actually says, Hey Dave and Terry. I have to change the name of the segment on this one. Um, and he asks, why is no one talking about Mitch Trubisky as a potential Cleveland QB? Consider the following. He was the number two overall pick in 2017, led the Bears to the playoffs with an 11 and three record. Had a, he had 28 touchdowns and 12 picks in 2018. He basically lays out a case here for why Mitch Trubisky needs a chance in his hometown.
1: Um, what do you think? Mitch Trubisky I'm open to it. Brown. I want a real quarterback behind Baker whether you bring back Case, maybe you could rework Case's contract a little bit, or, or you get somebody like Trubisky. I want a real quarterback there, not just to compete. After we watched this year, I mean, what are the odds of Baker being healthy all next year? Not great. Yeah. and for any, I mean, Not just for him, but for any. Yeah, I mean, Generally, that's the case anyway. And now if you're – and we see how close these things are, we can all go back and think, what if – case had played that 15 to 10 loss to pittsburgh i don't think they lose it he finds a way to score 14 17 points you know something like that i mean and there's a couple other games in there where i think he could have helped them win ugly that was the idea of signing him and you know that'll be the eternal debate of why they just didn't do that some of those games but they didn't so but you want to have the option i'm open to trubisky but I just think – I think he's going to be valuable in the open market. I think other teams will look at him. Pittsburgh might look at him. Yeah, they might. They might.
0: The uh, Just to give a little perspective, there are – everybody remembers the uh, OBJ is always open video that kind yeah. of was the beginning of the end of his time here. There are videos and memes in among Chicago Bears fans where someone is always open when Mitch Trubisky's playing quarterback and he never throws the ball. There's one really well-known one where it's like this play <laughs> – this play did not result in a touchdown and it's one of their tight ends wide open. So, okay. you know, yes, there's that out there, but like you said earlier, Terry, a lot of times guys just need a fresh start and um, a new beginning and some new coaches and it's and, a hard position to
1: change as they, as they get older. There's no doubt. You I mean, get more, more. It. there's a reason. So many of these quarterbacks are good in their thirties.
0: Combination of Peak, peak athletic ability and experience haven't been through yeah. the, and defense, even if your
1: athletic right. ability goes down, you make up for it more with being able to read defenses, find open receivers, understand game plans faster. All right, we got another question here.
0: I, people who are sending the questions, and we really appreciate it. We are trying to get to as many as we can. If you want to send them in, you can send them to sports at cleveland.com or hit Terry on his Facebook page. Uh, we're running a little short on time, so we're going to end with this one. And this one is from Jack and Erie. And it's a Cavs question. He says, hey, Terry, I know you've been drawing comparisons between this Cavs team and the late 80s Cavs, which was before my time, but I wonder if you're seeing similarities between this group and the 90s Fratello teams in that they just outwork the opponent, particularly on defense. This team is way more talented than that 90s group, but I think the opposition just isn't ready for the playoff-like intensity that the Cavs bring night in and night out. Let's hope any similarities between this squad and the Fratello Cavs only pertain to the regular
1: season. <laughs> he puts an exclamation point. Uh, what do you think of that comparison? Well, I agree in terms of the approach and, and the mentality of the team. Absolutely. The difference is this team has a lot more talent. I, mean, I can't think of any, I mean, that was, you know, Terrell Brandon and it was probably their best player and Bobby fills and, you know, they had a lot of really good role players, but they didn't have anybody like Mobley or Allen. And and while Brandon was very, un- um, I think, underrated as a guard, um, I think Garland's got a chance to be better. And so these guys have a lot more going for them. And they certainly didn't have somebody like Danny Ferry coming off the bench. I'm sorry. They had Danny Ferry for a while coming off the bench and playing. They didn't have Kevin Love. That was what I was trying to right. just one versus the other. Um, Cause actually, actually Ferry ended up starting a fair amount for, for, for Pertello, but um, you know, Love was, but he was playing like 25 minutes a game, kind of like Love does now. And Love's a much better player.
0: Okay. Thanks for sending those questions in and we will try to get to as many as we can next week. Uh, Again, I mentioned how you can do that sports at cleveland.com or hit Terry on Facebook. So, all right, Terry, let us close. We are running short on time here with a Terry's trivia question. And given our discussion on kickers, this week's question is, can you name the top five point scorers of all time for the Cleveland Browns on their franchise list? And I will give you a hint and I'll give our listeners a hint. Four of them are kickers. And one of them is not a kicker, but he's an all time. Was Jim
1: Brown the one that's not?
0: Jim Brown is the one that is not. It's a good guess. He is number four on the list with right. 756 points.
1: Okay. You've got, uh, is Dawson on the list? Phil Dawson is on the list. He is number two. He forever. Yeah. And he, has and he, had Gro- he had Groza. Lou Groza is number one. Ron's, and uh, he said, so then you would probably have Matt Barr. Yes, number 5, Matt Barr, How about Matt Stover. Matt Stover's number 7. The
0: other one was a kicker from 1968 to 1980.
1: Oh, Cockcroft. Yeah, I Don sure. Don Cockcroft. Wow, yeah. you did
0: good on that one, Terry. Well done. So it's Luke Groza, Phil Dawson,
1: Don Cockcroft, Jim Brown and Matt Barr is the top. That's cuz the old Browns were smart enough to get a good kicker and keep them. <laughs> That's right. And two of
0: those, Don Cockcroft was a straight-on kicker, wasn't he? Am
1: I yes, right? Yes, and he also
0: punted. And so two of their top five scorers were
1: straight on kickers. Sometimes he would punt. Gary Collins was a punter for a while, playing receiver. Uh, It was amazing what they did back then.
0: Cool. All right. So that'll wrap it up, Terry. Um, Got anything else? That'll do it. All right. Me too. I think tomorrow's Wordle answer is going to be Groza. That's the word on the street. So we'll see if that comes to pass. But uh, thanks for making time, Terry. Always great talking to you. And everybody, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. We will catch you next week on Terry's Talking.